Christ is alive. He rose from the dead and that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, when Mary and Mary Magdalene and Salome went to the grave expecting to anoint a dead body. They saw the angel sitting there and they said, where is Jesus? The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. He is not here. He has conquered the grave. He's alive! It is so good to be with you all today. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Shane, and I would love the opportunity to eat candy with you after the service, meet as many as you as I possibly can. It is so great to see uh, some familiar faces as well as some new faces. Just what a great morning to be together in church. I want you to do something with me before we get into the message, and I want you to go ahead and grab this Easter response card that we've put on all your seats this morning. Go ahead, everybody grab that card for just a moment, and I want to highlight a couple things on this card. And the first is that the, at the bottom of the card, you'll see there is a spot to write down prayer requests. And this, isn't any, this card is not any kind of gimmick. We actually just want to be able to pray for you. Because I don't know if you believe God still answers prayer, but we have seen he certainly does. And we would love the opportunity to pray for you. And so here's my promise to you. If you will fill something out, uh, we will promise to pray over every single one of these cards. And you can drop that at the end of our service in the buckets that will be passed around then. Now, I want you to focus your eyes now back up towards the top of the card. And there's a part there that we only do once a year. And that's just a little survey of what kind of messages would you like to hear spoken about here at Resonate Church. And you can answer, check off as many of them as you want. You can fill in your own thing there. The reason we do this once a year is we really believe that God wants to speak into the real-life things that you're going through. And so whether you call Resonate home, whether you're a guest with us here today, uh, whether you attend somewhere else, let us know uh, with that today what's going on in your life and what we're going to do is we're going to collect all the answers and we're going to craft a message series for September called You Asked For It. And it's going to be an amazing series as we go through what actually you found to be relevant. What are the top answers and the top things that you wanted to hear about this year? And we're looking forward to that. You can hold on to that card until the end. We'll come back to it one more time. But you can take a moment now even and fill out prayer requests there on the card. Well, this morning I want to, of course, on this Resurrection Easter Sunday, speak a message about resurrection power and resurrection life. And I want to actually share a message on this idea of three unlikely believers. Three unlikely believers. Because as we go through the biblical narrative that uh, Matthew's gospel lays out for us for the death and resurrection of Jesus, we actually see some pretty unlikely people become believers in Jesus. And I think it says a lot about who our God is that unlikely people are the ones that he chooses to go after. Now I want to set up this idea of unlikely this way, a little story. Recently, Rachel and I, we were in Vancouver, uh, and we were actually there for couples counseling. So if you thought this was the church where the guy with the microphone on the stage has it all together all the time in his life, you have found the wrong church. This is not that place. 
This is the place where we're all growing together in every single day, getting a little bit better. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Clapping for couples counseling. All right, it's good. <laughs> Praise God. So we left couples counseling. We went and picked up the kids, and we went into the city because Rachel's on maternity leave with our third baby who's now three and a half months old. And there's a point in time at which you realize that mommy is a little bit high-stressed, and we need to get her to Robson Street to do some shopping. And so this was one of those days where we need, to, we need to get there. In fact, you could tell the high stress because as we were driving there, Rachel said, not thinking it was loud enough for the kids behind us to hear, but Rachel said something about that day, something that she encountered being stupid. Now, stupid is not a word that we use in our home. We try not to let the kids hear it. And I don't know if you have or know any kids like ours, but when you say something that they're not supposed to say, it becomes open season for them. So now all of a sudden, the only thing they're saying is stupid. And I look at Rachel like, what have you done? And she looks at me like, do you know what I do? Then Avia, not making a word of this up, Avia from the back seat speaks up and goes, Mommy, Jesus loves you and will forgive you even when you say bad things. And I was like, preach, preacher. <laughs> so we get down to Robson Street. We, we drop Rachel at the store. And how many husbands know sometimes shopping with your wives, it's like a six, seven day affair. Like it's just going to take a long time. And so I knew the kids were going to be up past bedtime. And I know I needed to get them on my side. So the moment Rachel got out of the car, I pulled up my phone. I did what any good dad would do. I Googled the words ice cream. Like, I have not had five seconds on my own with these children that she's had all day, and I'm already thinking, how do I get them more on my side? So I Google ice cream, and we go to, there's a crepe place on Robson. How many know it? There's a little crepe. Yeah, you've been there. So we go to the crepe place, three kids. I, I get them all there, and I order a crepe and some ice cream. And as she's making the crepe, I'm thinking to myself, as, as I watch her pour copious amounts of sugar on this thin sliver of a pancake, I'm thinking to myself, do not let them eat all this. Do not let them eat all of that. But then I turn around, I hand the crepe to our five-year-old Avia, I hand the ice cream to our three-year-old Alencia, and it starts to rain on Robson Street. And so now I've got a three-month-old that's uncovered and fussing, and so I've got to turn and pay my attention towards the three-month-old and settle him down and get him covered. And by the time I turn back around to the other two kids, Avia has not only eaten the full crepe, she's now chewing the napkin that just has sugar on it, and Alencia is devouring the ice cream faster than I ever imagined a three-year-old could. Not understanding the moment, the gravity, or the weight of what I was about to do, I took the ice cream and I threw the remaining ice cream on the ground. Like, I wanted to stop her that quickly. But now, I know, right? There's just a little what from the second row. I didn't come to be judged. I came to help. <laughs> so the ice cream is on the pavement. We're now having an argument over whether or not you can eat ice cream off of pavement. I have, I have two kids, actually three breaking down in the middle of the most public street in Vancouver. They are now on a sugar high. They're too tired. They're not on my side at all. Long story short, I get them back to the car. I pull out all my dad energy, all the stops, all the tricks. I do everything I can. And eventually, I get them in their pajamas. I get their teeth brushed and so calm that by the time Rachel comes out of the store and gets into the car, it is dead silence in the car as all the kids are almost asleep. Rachel turns and looks at me in the driver's seat, and she says, I should leave them with you more often. <laughs> Here's the point of the story, and where we're going this morning. Sometimes the ending of a thing looks nothing like the middle of a thing. 
can be the same in your faith journey because right now you might be in the messy middle and it feels so unlikely that you could get to a place where you actually felt God is with you. But I came this morning to say that God specializes in reaching unlikely people in unlikely places in unlikely ways. God specializes in unlikely believers. And so what I want us to do this morning is to go through Matthew's narrative of the death and resurrection of Jesus and see some of these unlikely believers. The first one that we see in Matthew 27, Matthew speaks of this way. He says, even the criminals crucified with him were insulting him. The very first unlikely believer is a criminal crucified next to Jesus. There he is hurling insults at Jesus. He's criticizing him. I mean, like everybody around, I could imagine that day, they're thinking to themselves as he is, if you're really God, why are you here? And so he's hurling insults at Jesus. But nevertheless, the Bible tells us that later on, he would say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he has this remarkable change of heart where he goes from not believing Jesus is God to somehow believing he is. And Jesus responds and says to him, truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, if you had asked this man at the start of his day, will you finish this day believing the man that you've been executed next to is God? He would have said a thousand percent no. But isn't this just how God does? God specializes Watch this. In reaching people who at one point in time said, there's no way you're God. And if I was God, this is not how I would do it. If I was God, I would not choose to go after the person mocking me. I would say, don't you know who I am? But what we see through the Bible is that God did not come. He did not send Jesus to punish mockers. He sent him to pursue those who were far from him. He didn't send Jesus to punish those who did not believe. He sent him to pursue those who did not believe. When I went through what was, you know, like the center point of insults in, in life, and you know it, you've been there, junior high school. Like insults were just... I, I had nicknames I would not repeat here. I just would never want them to be spoken again. Just terrible things. And I'm sure some of you had the same sorts of things spoken over you. People, it's junior high. It's, you know, hey, hey, ugly. Hey, loser. Hey, loner. Hey, skinny kid. Hey, chubby kid. Whatever it is. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's probably even just hard for you to imagine these sorts of things being spoken about Jesus. Can you imagine? Nevertheless, the Bible tells us that this is exactly what Jesus had to endure from a man who went from unlikely believer to full-on believer. Jesus says, no, today you're going to be with me in paradise. What caused the switch? Like, what took this man from unlikely believer to believer? I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us. Jesus didn't do any miracles on the cross. There's no physical improbability that Jesus showed this man that caused him to say, okay, well, surely you're God. So it must have been something Jesus said. And of the seven things Jesus said while he was on the cross, there's one that stands out to me as the most likely thing he said that convinced a skeptic that he actually was God, and it was this. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What took this man from unbeliever to believer? 
What took him from there's no way you're God and hurling insults at him to I'm in, I believe, I'm yours, I want to follow you. It was a picture of radical grace. So let me ask you this morning, what would it do to your heart to begin to believe that God is a God of radical grace? What would happen in the openness of your heart to receive from God if you began to really lean into the idea that he truly is a God of radical grace? The first unlikely believer is criminal crucified next to him, hurling insults at Jesus. Well, the second group of unlikely believers, it's a group of people that actually had been followers of Jesus. Uh, They actually stand out. I'm surprised that this becomes a group of unlikely believers. Here's what Matthew said. He said, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. So there's a couple things there that stand out to me. First of all, they had followed. It's almost like it was a thing of the past. And then notice where he says they're standing. They're standing at a distance. And if that doesn't even convince you of where their heart was, think of what Jesus said the night before when he said, all of you are going to fall away on account of me. So there they are. They had followed Jesus, but now there's a distance between them and Jesus. And I think the reason they end up with this distance is that disappointment creates distance. Like, let me, talk, let me put this in some language that we can understand all together, or at least most of us can understand. How many, show of hands, how many are watching the hockey playoffs this year? Let me see your hand. Like, there's like three people watching the hockey playoffs this year. How many, 2011, come on, we were all there. 2011, when the Canucks made it within one game of the Stanley Cup. How many were watching the playoffs that year? Come on. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you write a sermon illustration and you don't know if it's going to work out, but y'all just proved my point. I knew I had this crowd. I knew I had the bandwagon crowd. Rachel and I are bandwagon uh, sports followers, like as bandwagon as you can get. In 2011, we would, we would take a projector, and we would project the games on our living room wall. We'd have friends over. We would party. It was amazing. We were all in. But recently, I said to Rachel, I'm like, remember when we used to watch hockey? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who the players are. I don't know who the coach is. Is it Tortorella? I don't know. It's, it's been so long. We have no idea anymore. Why? Disappointment creates distance, and it's the same in your faith journey. Maybe at a point in time, you followed really close to God. But today, there's distance. And that distance is because you had some expectations of what God was going to do in your life. Life wasn't supposed to turn out the way it has turned out for you. She wasn't supposed to break up with you. He wasn't supposed to leave the marriage. Finances weren't supposed to be this tight. You weren't supposed to lose that job. You weren't supposed to have to go through life with that injury. And what seemed like God not living up to expectations wore on you and and disappointment created a bit of distance. You might still be a follower of Jesus, still believe in him, still be on your way to heaven, but there's more distance than there used to be before. It's that way for these women. They're there and they didn't expect to see Jesus die. Here's what I've discovered in the faith journey. Is that when God does not seem to live up to your expectations, he always lives up to his word. See, because their expectations were that Jesus was going to do something for him. They didn't understand that the Bible said that he was going to have to die for them to fulfill his 
word. Their expectations were that because Jesus is around, life's not going to be painful anymore. But the Bible actually says, in this word, you're going to have trouble. So don't be surprised by it. No, Jesus said, it's not that you're not going to have trouble, but it's that you're going to be able to take heart. Why? Because I've actually overcome the world. They thought that life was not going to be difficult, and it created distance between them and God. And the Bible says some different things. Come on, somebody. How many are in the room this morning? And there's, you know in your heart that you love God, and you want to be close, but some disappointment has created some distance between you and God. I wouldn't even, I would not even expect them to be unlikely believers. I mean, if you'd asked them a day before, would you ever give up on Jesus? I'm sure they would have said, no, not a chance. But disappointment can create distance, and then they become a part of this group of of now unlikely believers. The Bible, though, will tell us that after the resurrection, they would become witnesses to the resurrection. They would go to the tomb, and, and they would again become all in followers of Jesus. Well, there's one more unlikely believer, and this one, this one's gonna mess, this is gonna mess you up. It's it already messed up that kid. (laughs) It's the Roman centurion, the ruler of a hundred soldiers that's actually there to guard and make sure that Jesus dies. That's what Matthew says. It said. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. So that's the moment Jesus surrenders his life. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And when the centurion, there he is, and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. So the very first person that declares Jesus is the Son of God after the cross is the man who was there to make sure he died. Culturally speaking, this should not be the guy. Like Romans don't believe in God. They believe emperor, Caesar is divine. Morally speaking, should not be the guy. Ethically speaking, this should not be the guy. He's the one overseeing the execution. If you had asked this guy on that morning, will you get to the end of today believing the man that you're about to execute is God? Come on, what would he have said? No, there's absolutely no way I could ever believe that but isn't this just what God does are you starting to notice a pattern here God is so often working from the back of the room to the front and if you came into the room this morning and thought you know I am not likely to ever become that faith person can I just say to you this morning you might be a little bit closer to God than you thought God reaches towards the one who is the absolute farthest to him. He starts with the one who's laughing at him. And now here, he's reaching towards the one who's saying, there's never, ever going to be a chance. In fact, he's executing Jesus. Again, if I was God, and we should all be thankful, I'm nowhere near anything close to divinity. None of This is like the whole point of the cross is our messed up heart and state. But now, if I was God, that's not how I would do. I would... The guy who murdered you? Like, don't you kind of want to ask God? Like, why not the one who was trying to find you? 
Why not the one who is seeking after you? Why this guy? God did it this way intentionally so that when you walked in today feeling like you were the last person who could ever believe in God, that he could say to you, oh, you might be closer than you think. God did it this way intentionally so that when you walked in and you said, I've broken up too many relationships and I've, I've even walked out on my family or I've hurt friends or I've coped with life in ways I'd never wished I'd cope with life, God could look at you and say, you've not gone too far for my radical grace. Come on, he did it this way intentionally. So if you came in saying, I'm anti-God or I'm angry at God or I feel disappointed by God, he could look at you and say, man, I just, I brought you to this place. You thought you were here. You thought you were here for an execution. You thought you were here to laugh. You thought you were here to be unlikely. God said, no, I actually put you right here so that you could witness a miracle. Today, you, you don't need to hear my message. Like my, my words ring hollow. You don't need a great Easter service. You need an encounter with the living God. And so in a, in a moment, I'll give you a time to reflect. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. Maybe there's some area of your life where you feel like it's unlikely God's going to move. Maybe you started to think it's unlikely that he still heals. Maybe you think it's unlikely. I mean, you know he loves you, you know he saved you, but you think it's unlikely that he could actually use you. Maybe in this post-Christian culture, you think it's unlikely that God is gonna build a great church. Come on, on this Resurrection Sunday, can we start to resurrect some truth that it's not unlikely that God still heals and it's not unlikely that God wants to use you. It's not unlikely that he's still building his church in the earth. Now can I speak to those who would say that you are an unbeliever in the room? Maybe you feel like the most unlikely. In a moment, the band's going to sing a song. I'm going to invite you to just, everyone in the room to just stay seated where you are. I just want you to reflect on this thought. Could it be perhaps today God's brought you to this place? to for the first time ever, or maybe the first time in a long time, allow you to be in a place where you could hear his voice and know that he was near. So God, I thank you for Easter Sunday. I thank you for the message of the resurrection and the message of the cross. God, I thank you that you died for sins once and all for all so that we could be forgiven and totally free and know that you are with us. God, I pray from the back of the room to the front of the room in these next few moments, God, speak to our hearts. Let us know that you're here. God, I pray that, that the one that feels the farthest from you in the room today, God, would just have their heart open just a crack to hear from you.
you grab that Easter response card one more time? We're going to fill out the last part of that together. Come on, everybody in the room, go ahead, grab that card. It's next to you. You may have already started to fill it out. There's one part left on the card, and it's the bottom where there's four little boxes that say A, B, C, and D. And I'm going to give you a moment to check them off. But first, I want to explain what each of those boxes are and give you an opportunity to check it. But whether you check a box or not, every one of us is in one of these four places. So here's what the A box means. It means I'm already in a real relationship with Jesus. Like my life's not perfect, but I know I love God and I know God loves me and I know I'm on my way to heaven. I'm sure of it, that's A. B is I'm not so sure. But today I wanna to begin a real relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking you to join this church. No, I'm asking, do you wanna begin a real relationship with Jesus either for the very first time or today you'd say, you know what? I need to begin again. C means I'd like to consider it a little bit more first. I love this about our church is that I never wanted us to build a church that was for church people. I wanted to build a place where people could come and consider it. In fact, if you're in the consider it, I'm, I'm sort of like the happiest that you're here this morning. That we could build a place where you could be on the journey and not feel judged on the journey. Where you could just feel like you could sit. It's like, Pastor, could I come and sit here for a while and just not be sure? Yeah. And if that's where you're at, you can check C today. I pray that there's a lot of people who've been at C that today will check B. But if you're still at C, then check C today. And then finally, D means I don't think I'm ever going to make that decision. And if that's for you, I'd, I'd say have the guts to check it today. Because here's why. I want to, you think, why would I even do that? I want to do something for you that maybe you would not want me to do, but I want to be able to pray for you. I've got a, I got a good friend who last Easter Sunday checked off the D box. But today, I would say is his first Easter Sunday as a follower of Jesus in the place today. Come on. So God does miracles. So I'm going to give you a moment. They've got all four of them up on the screen there, so you can take a moment. Check off that box with where you're at today. And when you're done that, just bow your head, and that'll let me know that you're done. And move on in our service. resurrect some things inside of us. As Rachel said, that part of your life that feels like it's in decay and dying. No, you came to church today not to just be told to do better, but to get around a God who can make you better. He can change you from the inside out. He can, he died to set you free. Now, if today you check that B box, I, I want to invite you to pray this with me. The Bible actually says that to be saved, you need to confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth. So I'd invite you to, to pray a prayer like this. You can whisper it. Maybe you just want to pray this with all your heart. But come on, in the room, let's pray this together, Resonate Church, with those who are making that decision to be day. Today, Jesus, I give you my life. I love you, and I receive your love, and I choose to follow you. Forgive me for not having you as God in my life. 
But in this moment, I receive all of your radical grace. Change me from the inside out. 